Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world saying Good morning, my people. I'm Jake Mintz. That's John Sh- John Schusterman. That's Jordan Schusterman. Sorry, I've got Juan Soto on the brain. You've got John Soto on the brain, according to at Yankees. John Soto not just appearing to be headed to Yankees. He is going to the Yankees. It has happened after hours and hours, days, weeks of anticipation. Juan Soto, one of the greatest hitters at a young age, the game has ever seen will be on the New York Yankees for the 2024 season at the very least. Uh, we're going to get into that trade because it did finally happen. Of course, we have three major transactions happen as soon as the winter meetings concludes. We are back in our respective homes, sitting at our respective desks, but the podcast rolls on. Baseball Barbacast cannot be stopped this week, and we'll have another show on Friday, too. You better believe it. I want to thank everybody. For all the support, got to episode 200 this week, getting close to a million downloads total ever. Very thankful for that. If you want to email us, you can do that at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Let's get right into it. There was a lot of anticipation, a lot of buildup. Over the course of the winter meetings, it became an inevitability that when the sun rose on spring training 2024, Juan Soto would be in pinstripes. In fact, when the sun rose, we knew basically by Friday morning he was going to be in pinstripes. We will not remember the timeline of it taking longer than we thought it was going to. We will remember Juan Soto, a generational talent, a historic player on the league's most important team. The Yankees are hateable, they can be frustrating. They are holier than thou, but at the end of the day, they have cachet that no other franchise in this sport can offer, a platform that no other franchise in this sport can offer. They are the kingmakers, and Juan Soto being on that team is a big freaking deal. Yeah, and I think uh, I think I might have mentioned this on one of our episodes in Nashville, but you know the the premise of of. Yankees fans assuming that all the great players will eventually be on their team is, is often exhausting. However, entering this offseason, when you look at the landscape and we once we started getting the reporting that the Padres were likely to deal Juan Soto, it just made so much sense, not just for the Yankees side, but also for a Padres team desperately looking for pitching. And we're going to get to the Padres side of this in a little bit. But I think that the Yankees' ability to do this, and we knew that they were going to have to respond to just an embarrassing campaign. Uh, that they just had for a lot of different reasons. They had to do something. And so much about it was the fact that you looked at this offense that sure still had a lot of highly paid famous players, but outside of Aaron Judge, there was so little you could count on. And, you know, Anthony Rizzo sort of was that to some degree. And yeah, Glaber had a nice season. So little you could count on. And Juan Soto is the definition of you can count on it as a hitter more than almost any other player in the entire league. 
right? Like even sure there's, there's guys that can have incredible ceilings and even guys like Stanton and Rizzo like can have stretches. Juan Soto, sure you can say, oh, the batting average. No, look at the OBP, look at the walks, look at the fact that this dude played every single game in 2023. That's also something that I'm sure attracted the Yankees to this player. Everything about him is perfect for New York, for any team, sure, surely, but for that team, for that offense, for that lineup in this position, all of it makes so much sense. And if I'm a Yankees fan, yeah, I mean, sure, you can start to worry, oh, did we start dealing away our pitching depth? No, no, no. I knew for a fact, as soon as this would go down, no matter how many pitches were in the deal, they would be ecstatic as they absolutely should be. See, that's weird, Jordan. I went for a run this morning into the Bronx, right by the stadium, and people were crying. They were weeping, bemoaning, giving away so much pitching depth. Yeah, really? Wow. That's, a, oh. it's a, that's, that's a, again, like in-person reporting there. You saw there. I, I mean, there are some, some Vasquez heads out there. They were like rioting, rioting in the streets up by the stadium. I mean, people are, and that's the thing that, it, yeah, right? Like, on one hand, pitching depth is important. On other hand, Juan Soto go And the Yankees, because they are so good at developing pitchers that other teams want, they were able to deal from a glut. Yes, and, that, and this is, go ahead. This is so important. This is so important. And we're going to get to these specific pictures from the Padres' perspective. But we saw it even yesterday with the Rule 5 draft. And we've seen it time and time and time again of Yankees. They have been so good at this. And for all the criticism of the direction of the Yankees organization in so many respects and, and the way that led them to this horrible season in 2023, some of which can be true. But we have to recognize, as much as it's hard to admit, they are very, very good at a lot of things. And this is to be able to have this kind of thing, to be able to give away a Vasquez and a Brito and a Thorpe and a King and really not feel it that much, right? Sure, you think, oh, Michael King was really important. Oh, he could have been a big part of the rotation. They still have so, and they lost guys in the Rule 5. And they're going to lose, they, they, they already traded other guys. Like, they're going to keep doing that. They traded for Verdugo, right? They traded more guys for Verdugo. And they still have so much more because they know that there's going to be more coming because they've proven that. And that is a real, real, real organizational strength. It's not just we have all the money and we know Juan Soto wants to play here and players want to play here. That is what puts them in position to make moves like this. And that's why they're, that, is, it, that is why they are an impressive organization in a lot of respects. A couple of folks on Twitter pointed this out, but the Yankees turned a 14th round draft pick and a 10th round draft pick essentially into Michael King, who they essentially turned into Juan Soto. So Caleb Smith, 14th rounder in 2013. Tyler Webb, 10th rounder in 2017. They traded Webb for Garrett Cooper, okay? Then they traded Garrett Cooper and Caleb Smith to the Marlins for Michael King, helped develop Michael King into what he is now, and then have now flipped him as the key piece in this deal, to San Diego alongside Thorpe, right? Thorpe and King are, in my mind, kind of the big two pieces. But, like, that's an impressive win. That's an enormous W for an organization. And we dunk on the Yankees here on this pod because here's here's what I'll say. That organization sucks at communication. They do. Like, they're not the best at synthesizing information to make decisions about rostering people, about, you know sometimes in-game stuff, like they're not always the best at that. 
they are elite at certain things. And I think they do deserve credit for that. Jordan, I just want to zoom in on Juan Soto, the thing, the person, the player, the presence. I made a joke heading into this at the beginning of the pod about good morning, my people. I just want to play, drop in a quick clip here from <laughs> one of my favorite Twitter accounts. I have to be honest, at Yankee World Addison, who cut together all of the San Diego Padres spring training clips of Soto saying good morning. Here it is. Good morning, my people. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Show chip. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Yeah, and so the Padres, back before their season went off the rails uh, in spring spring training, their their social media accounts would do like a you know question of the day every day, and they'd do a compilation of every single player walking past the camera, and it was always a great reminder of of Soto the personality. And I know again by the end of the season, everybody in that clubhouse was sad, Soto included, but he is still a young funny kid. <laughs> like I know he has delivered six unbelievable seasons of offensive performance already in the major leagues, but this is still a young kid who is just having a good time being a major league baseball player. And while his personality is so much about it, like again, one of my favorite parts about Soto is that it translates to the field too, right? He can give you some char charisma off the field, but it's the on-field charisma it isn't necessarily in the explosive, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's more subtle. We've learned about the Soto Shuffle and everything about it. But the amount that he smiles in the box, the amount that he laughs in the box, the amount that like, to me, the closest comp is Miguel Cabrera in terms of the kinds of hitters that are having, that are so talented that they are kind of able to both lock in and realize that they're having a really fun time playing a game at the same time while being one of the best hitters in the league. That is a very special combination, and he's been now in our lives a lot since he, you know, debuted as a teenager and and was a huge part of the Nationals winning the World Series. But we cannot take it for granted. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. But when you watch him and you and you see the kind of hitter that he is and what he's capable of, it is a, it is a singular thing. And we we just haven't. I mean, again, I mean, Mike Petrell's written about this and, and tweeted about this. But like, you know, you can make the Ted Williams comps, but that's it's just true. Like he's just he's just done it, and we and. And now it's it's silly because it's not like we haven't seen him do it on the biggest stage with the Nationals and even have some big moments, even with the Padres. But this will ratchet it up to a whole, whole other level. This will bring it to a level what, what he could do this season with the Yankees in a contract year in a perfect ballpark for him in New York where he is plenty comfortable. Absolutely. Right. We talk about something I, I could not be any less worried about that for Juan Soto it will go to another level for him. And it is important to remember, he just turned 25, an age where some very valuable, talented players have yet to appear in the big leagues, okay? Josh Young, this past season, had a very impressive rookie campaign for the Texas Rangers and was a vital part of their World Series win. He's a rookie, finished fourth in the AL Rookie of the Year. He is older than Juan Soto. Okay, same thing with Spencer Steer, who is phenomenal for the Reds as a rookie. Same thing with James Outman, who came out of nowhere to, to deliver for the Dodgers. All of those guys are older than Juan Soto. Soto is just so far ahead of where most players are, not just in terms of output, 
but in terms of the type of player they are. He came up to the big leagues and was making elite swing decisions against big league pitching right like right away, right? Most guys, that takes years to do. And so we have been so spoiled, and it's like, all right, Watson, well, he's 25, okay? He's going to play this season at 25 years old. I just yeah. don't want that to really – we can't forget that part of it. It's just so crazy. Also, I, I'm i kind of marveling at, like, his durability because one of the things that was so interesting about the Soto development was he was so injured multiple times in the first couple of years to the point where he only played 122 minor league games. It wasn't just that he raced through the minors because he was so good, and he did because, of course, his minor league career line was 362, 434, 609, right? in 512 plate appearances across three seasons. But that's the thing. He was injured all the time. Since then, he's played in at least 150 games in basically all four of the last full seasons. And this past year, he just played 162. And so now he is, you know exactly what you're getting. It's not that, I don't know if at the time, because once he gets to the big leagues, you're not, it happened so fast, you were like, oh, but he's injury prone. But like he barely played in the minor leagues because he was hurt. And also, it didn't matter. Like, he was still ready to be one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball, essentially, when he was 18 years old. So, that's where we're at. I just think that we are really setting up for, it, it, is, it is the perfect storm for another historic walk here, right? We've had, we just saw with Judge, we see with Otani. Now, I think there's a, a real opportunity for Soto, who, after he rejected, you know, the $440 million contract extension for the Nationals a few years ago, that was kind of the the precursor to the eventual trade to the Padres. You know, there were some moments of the last couple of years where it was like, ooh, was that a mistake? Like, I know he's really good, but is this guy really going to get that much? And I'm not going to guarantee it, but my goodness, I'm feeling pretty, pretty good about it. Like, I feel like, especially with him being in New York, there is a very realistic possibility that he ends up making $50 million more million than he would have if he were just with the Padres this season again. Like, I think that's just... That's what it's going to be. Not not just the ballpark, but just everything about him being on the Yankees is going to bring his status all the way back up to, I think, where we thought it was headed a few years ago. I think context and culture and location and importance matters. I think it's really lazy to say, oh, he's going to be on the Yankees. He's going to elevate his game. But I certainly think there's a part of that. I mean... Things got really bad by the end in San Diego when he was still like a 900 OPS player. <laughs> I'm really excited. To, like, I'm excited to see this. I am fascinated and compelled by the concept of Juan Soto on the Yankees. And I know I'm not the only one. Let's flip it to the San Diego Padres. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, why did the Padres trade Juan Soto? Simply, Right. We know Juan Soto is very good. We know he's very young. We know he's very famous. He's very valuable. Why did the Padres feel like they needed to make this move? Well, it's a budget thing, but it is not in the category of embarrassing, deplorable budget things that teams have done over time. This is not the Boston Red Sox trading away Mookie Betts because they wanted to get under the luxury tax, okay? The Padres, well, there's some parts of that because they yeah, don't think but they like, can do an extension, but yes. The Padres spent above their means. Yep. They did. Most teams, in my opinion, spend less money than they could, okay? However, when a team goes beyond what they are, quote, capable of, it does put them in a sticky situation. And it's such a unique context where the 
TV deal went belly up at like the worst possible time. And Peter Seidler passed away. Mm-hmm. And that combination of those two things put the Padres in a situation where their payroll was too high. It was too high for what they were able to do. And the easiest, simplest, and most effective way to get that number down was to trade Juan Soto, whose number for this season is going to be around $30 million. Right. But it's not just that. It was it was the combination of, yes, that is the obvious Juan Soto with one year left making $30 million is the obvious piece to go. But also in the context of their roster and in the context of the Padres are still trying to win, it was a very imbalanced roster. And they had so many innings that they needed to replace that if they wanted to have any hope of filling those, whether it is via a trade, this is one way to do it, and we can get to some of those pitchers, but also potentially in free agency, they had to make some room. Because otherwise, I mean, they could have rolled in, they could have just kept Juan Soto, but in that scenario, they'd be using a lot of pitchers that they probably did not want to be using. And so, listen, this is still a lineup that, while there was some underperformance last year, this is still a lineup with Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, that's... The best version of that is still one of the best lineups in baseball. It is as, as horrible as this past year went. Like it is, that's the, you, that, and so that's why you can stomach trading one. So it, now at the same time, this is still an L. Now it sucks. It's unfortunate that this is how this has gone because of how they got him, and then they spent big, and then it was a, as big of a disaster as it could be in twenty twenty three. Like it is an unfortunate sequence, but I do generally believe that if you're trading away Juan Soto, like you lost, right? Now that doesn't mean they can't be good in twenty twenty four. But I, I just, in that sense, it is hard for me to totally stomach that. At the same time, I get it. I, I get it. It was a move that they decided they had to make to proceed with this offseason and to build the rest, best roster that they thought that they could in 2024. Let's talk about the pitchers they got back. I think that's important. Michael King is the one you probably know the most about. Kind of an interesting development story for him. Grew up in Rhode Island. Went to Boston College, drafted by the Marlins, traded for the to the Yankees, like we said, and kind of fluctuated back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen, spending most of his time in the bullpen, but always wanted to be a starter. Like the entire time he's Michael King, by the way, is like the nicest dude ever. Yes. And so whenever people would ask, like, do you want to start? He'd be like, I'm so he's like, I'm so happy on the team. But of course he wanted to start. That's totally legitimate. And so Michael King started down the stretch for the Yankees and was very good for them. And now he will get a chance to base a real big boy starting pitcher in San Diego. Yeah. And it is a pretty wild sequence because he did have a brief stint in the Yankees rotation in 2021, you know, goes back to the bullpen full time, outstanding reliever in 2022, but then has the injury. And then this year, a really good reliever. But again, (laughs) the only reason they ended up have again to give him a shot is because of all the injuries and just horrible underperformance that they were dealing with in the rotation and the fact that their season was almost lost that they were like fuck it you know Michael King let's let's bring it back I mean correct me if I'm wrong but like that, that that's basically how they ended up doing that and he ran with it and he was fantastic and he had a 13 strikeout game against Toronto and the velocity he was holding deep into the game and and so all of that is to say and and people that watch it like you know Sarah just wrote about this today and I obviously trust his valuation like People do believe that like the talent is there for Michael King to be a starter. I just think that from the Yankees' perspective, this is exactly when you trade Michael King. You know, like if the Padres are seeing, and and I understand this is the kind of gamble that you're going to take because Michael King is you know under team control for the next couple of years for a reasonable salary, and if you can get him to continue that and sustain that 
for 150 plus innings, that's great. That's a big risk based both on his injury track record and the fact that it's just a small sample of starter success to begin with. He sure looks the part. When I watched Michael King down the stretch, I said, that's a really good starting pitcher. So I, I'm not doubting the talent, but there's a lot of risk associated with that. Uh, that, that is going to be that the Padres have to kind of gamble they kind of had to make, but it's also you can understand why ultimately the Yankees were more willing to part with that than Clark Schmidt, in my opinion. And there were two more years on Clark Schmidt, right? So King has two years left on his uh, team control and Schmidt has like four. And so th that's another aspect of it. Drew Thorpe. Drew Thorpe is the best of the rest in this group. He is a pitching prospect who spent most of this year in high A with a stint in double A. He was drafted in the 2022 draft out of Cal Poly um, in San Luis Obispo. Had a lot of eyes on him because his teammate, Brooks Lee, was like a top 10 potential guy the whole time. Ended up going eight to the Twins. So scouts were in to see Lee and saw a lot of Drew Thorpe. Thorpe ends up going in the second round to the Yankees. And he has been phenomenal since then. His changeup in particular appears to be a true unicorn offering. Yeah, and it's one of the best uh, you know, secondary pitchers in the minor leagues. And it was true. It was really good in college. But his fastball was really like 90-92 in college. It was one of those situations where he checked pretty much every other box. He threw four pitches. He threw a lot of strikes. He was athletic, good delivery, all those things. And it was like, if we can just tick this heater up a little bit with the right organization... And, you know, voila, like that's exactly what we just talked about with the Yankees. Like that's a perfect landing spot for him. They're able to coax a little bit of feel. He's not throwing that hard. It's still, you know, 92, 94. But when you have that and you have that command and you have that changeup, you're going to dominate. And he led the minor leagues in strikeouts, you know, this past season. Um, you know, only five starts in double A. So is he knocking on the door in the big leagues? Not necessarily. But there's a there's a totally a, like he's projecting as a very, really safe bet to be in this Padres rotation maybe by the end of the season, certainly 2025. It's just a really good pitching prospect to bet with. And, and the Padres, by the way, while their pitching development at the minor league level has been uh, sketchy at best, they've, Ruben Niebel has been really impressive, I would say. And the kind of stuff, so, and that's why I'm optimistic about Michael King, and that's why I'm optimistic if Thorpe can kind of push and get there quickly. And I think this is actually more relevant for the next two pitchers, Johnny Brito and Randy Vasquez. Like, there's there's a lot to work with here, but Thorpe, in terms of upside, in terms of pedigree, he's absolutely the, the the biggest piece here. Yeah, and then the other two are Randy Vasquez. Talk a little bit about him, Jordan. Yeah, I mean Randy Vasquez. He's an interesting one. I know the Yankees had experience with shorter right-handers, Lindavi Garcia, who really ended up getting a lot of prospect hype because he was throwing so hard and the numbers were good, and he was you know a futures gamer and all these things. Vasquez didn't quite have that hype. He signed for not a lot of money. But eventually, the numbers were so good where it was like, oh, shit, like this guy might be pretty good. And he looked pretty good in the big leagues. Kind of an interesting lower slot. We've seen him start. We saw him in the bullpen. Throws a lot of different pitches. Really, really, really good curveball. I don't know how hard he's really going to throw if he's going to be you know, starting full time. Again, it doesn't look like a starter. But he's a really interesting piece, whereas Brito is more of like he can give you innings. Like he threw 90 innings. He can clearly give you five solid Innings, which again, this is exactly the thing that the Padres are lacking so badly right now. And to be able to get two of those guys, not to mention Thorpe, not to mention King, is why this is, I think, a, a good way to do this. Like, again, it's hard for me to say you crushed it because you traded away Juan Soto. But it, as far as what their goals were, it looks like they accomplished those uh, in, in a very real way. And then 
they get Kyle Higashioka in the deal as well, who I don't think is very good anymore. I am the lowest on Kyle Higashioka. By the end of his time in New York, I think it was really telling that Garrett Cole, who he'd known forever, didn't want to throw to him anymore. That either it was Higashioka's receiving or his pitch calling or whatever had taken a step back. Interesting fit for him now with the Padres where he's just going to be the backup to Luis Camposano. That was a, a position that the Padres really needed. They really needed another catcher and they yeah. got it. Yeah, I mean, obviously they, they had Gary and it would be hilarious if they bring Gary back to team with Higgy. That would just be a hilarious reunion. Um, but yeah, and Camposano, I get he's he's been really uh, hot and cold. But, uh, and I'm not sure where they're at on him as like a full-time catcher, but they need a catcher badly. So it makes sense as a backup. It is an interesting end to to winning ridiculously long. I mean, this dude was drafted out of high school by the Yankees in 2008. And this is how, uh, you know, the Yankees tenure kind of comes to an end. But I do agree. It seems like his time had kind of run out there. We should mention the Trent Grisham part of this uh, yep. before we take a break, because I think that was speculated on when we talked about it seemed like the reports were coming out that Grisham would be included. That's, by the way, from the Padres perspective, another like five million or so dollars that they get off the books. So that's good in that respect. Now it does make their outfield currently projected. You know, you still have Tatis out there, which is great. I mean, right now it's you know Jose Zocar, you know, like uh, Cal Mitchell, a Cal Mitchell, who, who they I think they just signed like this off season as a minor league NRI. Um, Eggy Rosario, like Ornelas, like whatever they're going to sign. Like I know there's reports that they'd be interested in John Huli. I think that'd be a great fit. There are there are outfielders out there, and I think the other thing that the Padres that works in the Padres' favor is not a lot of people have signed, right? We, we're going to get to Candelaria a little bit later, but like the position player market has barely moved, right? Outfielders have not moved. So if they want to go after those guys in free agency, they can. But for the Yankees, like this Grisham addition, I, we talked about like, are they really going to play judge in center field? Grisham is a fantastic center fielder. He's an extremely streaky hitter. Should he be playing? Ever? But like, I, it, they have this roster situation now, and I know Boone said comments about how Lemayhew is going to play third base every day. Like we're starting to kind of crystallize. How do you see this shaking out? Because Grisham, being like either Grisham or Verdugo, is probably going to be playing less than they should. If that makes sense, or like like where where do you see Grisham kind of shaking out here? Because by the way, clearly Verdugo was not in this deal. Clearly they're going to keep him. Yeah, I, the funny thing is, like they're both lefties that now they just have too many left. The outfielders. <laughs> I, it's, it's a good problem to have. It's I know, just I know. Stanton is the issue here, right? Like, Here's is, what is yeah. going to happen. Okay. Shot, just are you sitting down for this? Hold on to your butts, folks. Stanton is going to get hurt. He is going to miss a lot of time. Brian Cashman Hope, actually said that. Yeah, he told us that. Now, hopefully I'm wrong about this, but Stanton is now an injury risk every single freaking year. And so when he gets hurt, <clears throat> Juan Soto or Alex Verdugo is going to be the designated hitter. The other is going to play in a corner. Aaron Judge will be in the other corner and Trent Grisham will see the most, uh, the majority of the time in center field. I think Grisham will play a lot when it's all said and done. I just have so little faith in Stanton to stay healthy. Okay, but let's say Stanton stays healthy. Okay, Okay, but he's not going to. Okay, no, but don't, I'm sorry. Well, let's have a conversation. Okay. So I is Grisham basically come in in the sixth inning every game or as the center fielder and like I'm trying to see where because what you could do is if you have him in center 
you have Judge and Wright. You could DH Soto, but it's like that's that's the other option. Uh, but then now it's like Stan is, is yeah. I it's it's still really crowded. Again, good problems to have. Not a reason not to trade for Juan Soto. Not a reason not to take Trent Grisham. I just think that like the best version of this team is having Juan Soto as the DH. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, so, yeah. again, he's not a good defender, but someone is going to miss time. That's the thing, right? Yeah. You know that you have to bake that in. And what's killed the Yankees in recent years is not baking that in where they build the boat out of old wood where they have injury prone guys that miss time and then they have to give playing time to guys who aren't good enough. And now they don't have to deal with that at the same level. I think that's what's important here. Probably. How does it There's look always- on opening day? How does it look on opening day if Alex Verdugo or Trent Grisham's on the bench or like but, and but they here's have a bad the defensive outfield. Who cares? Like the, it'll work itself out. Okay, no, you're everything you're saying is true. Except, was the conversation we had yesterday? We're really going to play Judge in center field for forty games, one hundred forty games. You think he's going to hold up? Like that's the other part of it. It's like we are still looking at an outfield with Soto, with Judge, Verdugo, and Soto. Which no, is- but I see. I think Grisham is going to play way more than that. Like I think Judge, when we look back on twenty twenty four, will have about equal time in center and right. Okay. Yeah. Well, but but again, like that's fine. You're, you're you're basically just like saying John Carlos Stanton will play ten games, which is but very well might be the case. But I'm I'm just saying it's much I'm harder to that. find I'm, that much playing time as it stands now. It's not. I'm, I'm saying it's a bad plan. I'm not saying it's bad for them to have Trent Grisham. I'm just saying it's harder to find the playing time. I'm saying that the team with Grisham in center mm-hmm. and Verdugo on the bench mm-hmm. is better than Judge in center and Verdugo in the lineup. That's what I think. That's my opinion. Because Grisham is so good defensively, and the delta between those two things is so big, and I think Grisham's battle worked pretty well in that park, and I'm low on Verdugo. Well, right. I just But that, think- that's, the, that's the thing, though, is they're basically weighing, if they think Verdugo is an everyday hitter, which I think they probably do, they're weighing that and the defense of Grisham more consistently. Um, that's really the, the conversation, let alone like is can Judge handle center field for every I mean, I believe they said yesterday they believe Judge can be the everyday center fielder, but it is it is an interesting fit. I agree it's not a bad thing. I agree it's good. Yes, yes, if Grisham is your fourth outfielder, fantastic. Like that's a good that's a good place to be. Uh but <laughs> there will be alignments where it's like, wow, okay. Like undeniably so, that, that where it looks uh it looks it looks interesting. Um, but hey, the lineup certainly looks better. There are still massive question marks. And I would say the other thing about this as I'm, as I'm looking a little bit farther ahead, and then we'll take a break here, is thinking about, okay, Soto, sure, we think, may, of course, Yankees fans like, oh, they'll extend him. They're not going to extend him, but maybe he has a good chance to stay there long term. Totally, totally plausible. But you do now have a lot of these guys that are, uh, you know, going to be free. Like, Glaber is now in an interesting spot in terms of guys who are all in contract years, right? With Verdugo, Glaber, and Soto all in the last year of their contract, and uh, potentially Rizzo also. I guess that's a club option. This just this is an interesting uh, dynamic here in terms of the, the direction that the rest of this offseason goes. Like, I guess the last place to say is, are we done with the Yankees acquiring uh, hitters? I want to just touch on the extension thing. Mm-hmm. Juan Soto is not signing an extension in New York, in my opinion, unless he is super-duper happy. Scott Boris does not do that. He denied a $440 million extension already. He is now even closer to free agency and just as valuable as he was before. And he's going to test the open market. That doesn't mean he won't come back to the Yankees. I just would be shocked if he signs an extension during the season. I mean, if Judge wasn't going to sign one, 
Why is Juan Soto going to sign one? Yeah. So that's Doesn't the mean first he won't thing. Stay there, but come on. I'm not saying he's not going to be happy and want to be there for a while, but like it's not happening during the season. Don't expect that if you're a Yankees yeah. fan. Uh, are they done acquiring position players? Yes, I think they are. I think they'll be in the Yamamoto sweepstakes pretty harder here in a couple weeks, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But I do think that they're done for the most part. Jordan, let's take a break. We get let's back, we'll break. talk Jimer Candelario to the Reds, and we'll talk Eduardo Rodriguez to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbercast themed beanie or bucket hat, or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they're all available right now, just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G dot com slash baseball. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jay Mintz, Jay Shu here. Let's talk about Erod. Let's do it. Oh, we'll do Erod first. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez was in Nashville meeting with teams, and it did seem like he was a very kind of obvious candidate to come off the board next because he kind of occupied sort of his own tier of the starting pitching market where he was younger than, you know, his same age as Nola but not necessarily on Nola's level. He's much younger than Sonny Gray, but not necessarily on his level. And so you could kind of see a situation where it's like a team that doesn't want to play in the Montgomery Snell, you know, part of the market, but really would like to get some, some upside mid tier pitching. And that's exactly, that could not have gone as exactly the degree to which I could have seen it on Monday. Like this is this outcome of a four year, uh, $80 million deal, roughly, with the, with the Arizona Diamondbacks is exactly, it is the least surprising thing ever, and a fantastic move to see Arizona. You you expressed some, some skepticism about their spending level coming yeah. into this uh, winter, and for them to go out and be on the acquiring end of Eugenio Suarez, that salary, not that that's a huge commitment, but still, you know, bringing in $11 million or $13 million, uh, and then to go out and, and give Erod a, a really sizable contract here, Turns out to be the right financial decision for him to have opted out of Detroit. For those people say, oh, what happened to the no trade? He didn't want to go to the Dodgers, and now he's signing with the with the D-backs. Well, guess what? He takes the open market. He beats his original, what he was going to have by like $30 million. He gets $30 million more million, and now his family gets to move to Arizona and know where they're going to be and be making even more money in the offseason. All of that makes plenty of sense. And as for a roster fit, it's a no-brainer, right? We saw the the, the they, they went about as far as they could with Zach Allen, Merrill Kelly, and of course Brandon fought emerging. But now, now we're now we're really building something here. And and Arizona's really putting themselves, I think, in in a, the conversation for we won't they will be firmly in that in that wild card discussion, I think, to start the season next year. And I think already. And and I they could absolutely have more moves to come. Um, but I think that that's a, that's a really exciting and, and an absolute no brainer and good for Erod. So let's just review the Eduardo Rodriguez timeline here. Signs with the Orioles, traded to the Red Sox for Andrew Miller way back in the day. Spends time with the Red Sox from 2015 to Mike 20- Hazen, by the way, was you know part of the Red Sox front office that acquired him. So who's now the general manager of the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. with the Red Sox from 2015 to 2021? 
is a big part of the team that wins the 2018 World Series. His best season there is probably 2019, where he had a 3.81 in 200 innings, made 34 starts. Then during COVID, he has the myocarditis issue, misses the entire 2020 season, is has like one of the weirder years ever where he had a 4.74, but like all the underlying data was indicating that he was better than that. Signs with the Tigers, misses time in 2022. It's totally solid this season, 152 innings and a 3-3 RA. Denies the trade at the deadline to the Dodgers, opts out, and now will join a Diamondbacks pitching staff that during October looked shorthanded and now looks really good. All of a sudden, a million things will go wrong between now and then, but Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Brandon Fott and Eduardo Rodriguez is a really legitimate top four. Yeah, especially because, again, like even at the end of the regular season, we were like, all right, how far can they go with Gallon and Kelly? Because of what Brandon Fott did in October, we now feel really solid about him, you know, in the middle of that rotation. And now you add Erod, who, you know, on talent, you could argue is is even above Merrill Kelly, right? So, well, whatever the order of those pitches doesn't go, but like that's that's a really Good, not to mention what the D-backs bullpen, you know, showed us in, in a really re- real way. And I would still expect them to probably add there too, depending on kind of where they're at with payroll now, because uh, I, th- I believe this deal brings them to around 133. Um, I don't know what like the highest they've gone in recent years is, but if they can add a couple more pieces, like like I said, like they're going to they're gonna be in a, a pretty pretty solid position there. So I really like what they've done and it's, it's not that complicated of a deal, but but a really nice fit and, and good for Erod for... Uh, for, for making the, the right move uh, in, in general. It, it all worked out for him, I think. So I like that fit a lot. And now, now we get to see him pitching against the Dodgers, which will also be interesting all the time. Um, so if we, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure they will boo him uh, plenty, which will be fine. Uh, other major move that happened last night, Jamer Candelario, switch hitting corner infielder who had an interesting year starting with the Washington Nationals after he had been non-tendered by the Tigers uh, I believe, goes to the Nationals, has a fantastic start to the year, gets traded to the Cubs, the team that had originally signed and developed him. He had made his major league debut with them back in 2016, finds his way back to the Cubs for the second half of 2023. He was kind of injured. He wasn't terrible for them, but obviously the Cubs collapsed in the second half. And while Candelario wasn't the biggest culprit, he was not nearly as good as he was before the trade. And uh, ultimately, it did not. It did not end up having the, the happiest ending for him back in his home or back in the you know originally with this reunion of the team that originally signed him. Now he enters free agency, and with a position player market that is extremely shallow, you don't have to go too far down the list before you start talking about Jammer Candelario. And while he is very vanilla in a lot of respects because it's a corner infielder who doesn't have huge power, and he doesn't like the the his style of play does not jump off the screen I was like this dude's good like when he's been healthy he's been productive I know he had that one really terrible season in 2022 but you know leading the league in doubles in 2021 another 39 doubles this year a switch hitter who is very similar from both sides of the plate which is more rare than than you might think he gets on base he doesn't strike out a ton he can he can play you know third and first totally capably well great clubhouse dude I you know, now we're going to get to the fit with the Reds, but like that's Jammer Candelario, the player. Like I really liked him as an option for a lot of teams this offseason. 
And for him to end up in Cincinnati is fascinating because at the start, it's like, okay, who needs third baseman? Arizona was a team. Toronto, of course, having lost Chapman. Like, there are some other teams. The Cubs would have made sense still. Who needs third baseman? The Reds were not a team where you were like, who needs a third base? Who needs an infielder? You would not have said the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> so here's the setup and how it fits in with the Reds roster, okay? Ellie De La Cruz, heard of him? The Is he good? Probably. How good? We don't know, but they're going to give him a chance to figure it out. He is electric. You give him the runway that he needs because if it all clicks, he is God. So he will be the shortstop. Matt McClain, who is the best player on the Reds, best player in the Reds, he will be playing second base. Shouldn't be a secret, but it feels like a secret. He's the second baseman. Third base is almost certainly going to be Noel V. Marte, who came up late in the year and was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, Candelaria will see some time there, but I, I, let me take Candelaria out of it. I just want to paint the picture before he gets here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Noel V's at third. First base is Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Jonathan India is kind of the odd man out, right? Or at least the DH. Now with Candelario coming in, what that's probably going to do is they're going to rotate it all the time. So like there are days where Candelario will play first, will play third, excuse me, Strand will play first, and India will DH. There are days where Candelario will play first, Strand will DH, and Noelvi will play third. There are days where they could do any number of combinations with those players. But the most important takeaway is that Spencer Steer, who played a lot of infield this year, is going to move to left field full time. Yeah. And Steer played a, a good amount of the outfield um, during 2023. But he you know, came up as an infielder and basically was like, listen, I want to be in the lineup every day, whatever it's going to take for me to do that. I know that's cliche, but that was extremely important for the Reds, especially because he was their most consistent hitter the entire season and was healthy the entire season. So Spencer Sear, they are not, they are, there's no way we're taking Spencer Sear out of the lineup. I think this is somewhat of a reflection of some amount of Ellie uncertainty, not for the long term, but at least for the short term, because there's also a version where you have Ellie more coming off the bench, not regularly, but you can have, they, they trust McLean at shortstop also. So that's the way now we have India back at second base. All of this said, I do think this definitely increases the likelihood of an India trade or I guess a trade of, I, don't, I just don't really see who else really makes sense to move from this group because they're so young and, and so cheap um, at this stage. But Candelario is a floor raiser in a lot of respects. And just with the, like he just helps, especially with the switch, hit, with the switch hitting element, he can hit right-handers pretty well um, in a way that they, they just don't really have a lot of lefty power. Like they do have Will Benson and the outfield is a whole other puzzle that they've you know had to do. But David Bell uh, and his staff, I've, you know, I've seen it up close. Like they've done a really good job. Like it looks like how in the world are all these guys going to get playing time? And I think that that is still true now. But I've seen them manage this. And I think that this is a nice way. And also, again, like good ballpark for Candelario, who might not necessarily have the biggest power in the world but clearly the kind where like I would not surprise me if he you know sets a career high in home runs this year. Um, I mean he did he just did this past year with 22. Totally reasonable to to replicate that um, in Cincinnati. So I, I like the fit. It does create some questions for sure, and they still have to go after pitching as well. And maybe that's how they they end up using India in a deal. So I I don't think an India deal would be received particularly well internally. But I also think people understand the situation and know that they want to let the kids play in a lot of respects. And they trust that Candelario can kind of be that veteran stabilizer um, in, in a lot of ways. So nice to see the Reds ad. We saw them talk about Martinez and Pagan. Um, and that's, it's good. You know, I'm not expecting them to, to blast the payroll back up 
to anything crazy, but like this is these are exactly the kind of it's it's just nice. Whatever, it's not complicated. Teams in their position should be trying to get better, and they did. So that's that's what happened, and and I like that move a lot. Let's end our show. No more Let's show. Do it. No Let's more do show. It. Uh, who you know who won't be in the Reds infield anymore is Nick Senzel, uh, who signed with the Nationals. So that's the least surprising thing ever. A Boris client, they're like, hey, uh, we need a spot for him. Okay, good. Here, come on to the Nationals. Um, and then we never talked about Marco Gonzalez to the Pirates. That's interesting. I guess we were wondering, oh, the Braves could really use Marco Gonzalez. It seems like the Pirates could use Marco Gonzalez more, which does make sense to me in terms of who needs more stabilizing uh, forces there. So uh, I imagine they would keep him, but that was a little bit of a curious deal. Uh, but yeah, we have, of course, all kinds of other reporting, Yamamoto stuff going on. We're going to get to all that on Friday's episode, but we will end this one here. Thank you all for supporting us. All the extremely kind people who came up to us and said they liked the show in, in Nashville. Thank you to all the really, really had a lot, met a lot of awesome people. So thank you guys for the support. And that's been, you know, reflected in, uh, in the people that have listened this week and, and supported us. So uh, big thanks to everyone in Nashville. Thank you to producer Chris, of course, who helped us out in Nashville. Anyone that joined us on the show in Nashville, of course, shouts out to Vinny P. Uh, Pasquantino, one of the, one of the best pod conversations we've had in quite some time. Any other final thoughts? Again, we'll be back on Friday uh, to cover anything else, but do we have uh, any other, any other news uh, this morning? Merch. Merch, 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 merch. Yes, indeed. We have uh, merch is, well, as we've always said, podswag.com slash baseball. But we have a very special deal that we would like to tell you about. So yeah, from now until December 10th, you get 20% off and free shipping if you buy enough swag to get over 15 bucks. If you use code GIFTGUIDE20, GIFTGUIDE20. Um what do you say? Gift guide two zero. Two zero. Uh, twenty. Yes. So yeah. Twenty <laughs> you were saying twenty, like you were like <laughs> twenty. Like, let's let's make sure uh, people know what to type in. Yes. Gift guide. Two zero. Two zero. Twenty. So yeah, type that in. Buy some of our merch. It's pretty good. I wear it around my house all the time. I like the merch. Uh, so check that out. We do have a couple new items on there, uh, including a beanie that is uh, wonderful for this holiday season. So I left mine on the plane. I love mine on the plane. I have to get a new oh, one. so Jake will have to buy a new one using gift guide 20. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting us in all the ways that you do. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Thank you, producer Chris, for doing this extra episode. We will be back on Friday. I have some more Juan Soto Yankees stuff that I have wow. been thinking about for two years that I will be revealing on the podcast tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all for listening. I'm Jordan. That's Jake. And uh, maybe show how Tani will sign tonight. Okay, bye. Serious XM Podcasts.